Hey there, thanks for listening. Before we jump into this episode, I just want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by us over at TalkPython Training and Brian through his PyTest book. So if you want to get hands-on and learn something with Python, be sure to consider our courses over at TalkPython Training. Visit them via pythonbytes.fm courses. And if you're looking to do testing and get better with PyTest, check out Brian's book at pythonbytes.fm PyTest. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 250, recorded September 15th, 2021. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I'm Brian Aachen. And I am Prayson. Prayson, welcome to Python Bytes. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I've been looking so much forward to joining you guys. Yeah, you've been uh, somebody out there who's been giving us a lot of good ideas and topics and helping us learn about new things. So you've been a big supporter of the show and now you are part of the show. Yeah, hurrah. <laughs> hurrah. Yeah, yeah, hurrah. It's, uh, nice. it's yeah, it's, uh, I've been looking so much for it. Uh, like, uh, for this first time I saw, oh, we can take part in this. I go like, oh, I should try to just get myself in there. And here yeah. I am. Yeah, yeah here you nice. are. Thanks for, thanks for doing that. That's really nice. Tell people a bit about yourself before we dive into Brian's first topic. Yes. Well, um, well, my name is, uh, Preston Daniel and I'm, uh, originally from Tanzania. But uh, living in Denmark, uh, married with three awesome kids. Um, currently, I'm a principal data scientist at Entity uh, uh, Data Business uh, Business Solution uh, here in Copenhagen. And, and yeah, so um, accidentally became a data scientist and somehow discovering that I was really, really good at it. Then I just started climbing my way up thanks to uh, the Python community and everything that is out there. Yeah, awesome. Congratulations. Nice to see you finding your way in the data science world. Very cool. Yeah, Accidentally Brian... becoming a data scientist. That's interesting. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right, Brian, uh, have people been doing things wrong? I think so. Oh. <laughs> Including uh, race conditions with uh, screen sharing. <laughs> yeah, so I just couldn't resist this article. Uh, there's an article out called Exciting New Ways to be Told That Your Python Code is Bad. Um, which is just a great title. Uh, and the, the, the gist is there's um, two new pilot errors. So uh, it's pretty simple. There's, but it made, made me think about my code a little bit. Um, uh, and the first one is, um, is a, an error to tell you to consider ternary expressions. So if, you, if, you have, um, if you've got like if condition and then you assign a variable in both the, uh, the if clause and the else clause and it's a short thing uh, maybe maybe use a conditional expression instead and do all in one line like say in one one of the examples in the blog post says um, x equals four if condition else five so ternary operators are pretty cool um, and they're pretty easy to read in python but i was just curious what you thought uh, is this is a ternary expression easier to read or more difficult well, for me, I think this is pretty nice. I'm always on the edge about the ternary condition, the value if condition else other value. A lot of times it starts to stretch out to be a little bit mm. verbose and then it's kind of, you know, it's not entirely obvious. One thing I recently learned about, I don't know how it took me so long, is the simpler version of that like variable or other option at, without the, the if else, just the thing or that thing. Right. So, yeah. for example, if you try to get a user back um, and you just want to return the user or you want to return 
Uh, maybe you want to check if they're admin. If they are, you return them. Otherwise, you might turn them back. Like, you could say something to the effect of like, you know, if or you say user or uh, result equals user or false or, or something like that. Some, it's not a totally good example here, but this like super short version of value where you kind of have the return value and the test and then oh, the yeah. fallback, the else case. Uh, um, it wouldn't work in the example they have here, but mm, that one yeah. I actually I started to really like because it's so concise. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think I'm very traditional. I like reading my code up going down. So whenever it started stretching sideways to me, I go like, oh, okay. I think I just love the flow of if, then I know I have to look down for the else, right? But now I have to look yeah. the else from the other side. Then, the, yeah, but one-liners are good in some places, but in most of the cases, yeah. uh, out of readability, I usually just try to avoid them. Yeah, I do as well. The one thing I was thinking is interesting on the data science side, Preston, is a lot of times you're trying to take, instead of statements, multiple lines, you're trying to create little expressions that you can put together in like little list comprehensions and other types of things. And these these one-liners become really valuable there. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I, yeah. Mostly when we're using lambdas everywhere, right? Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So the, the, the next error condition is funny, I think, and it's just the while is used. So it's just a warning to say you have a while in your code. And this <laughs> the comment really is there's, it's just not really usually good to have a while because it can uh, like never terminate. You can, there's no, it's not guaranteed to terminate if you've got a while loop. So um, I thought that was interesting. I, I actually was just thinking about this the other day is that I, I, I don't, I can't even remember the last time I've used a while loop in some code. So uh, I think this, I think this is actually pretty good just to warn people they've got a while loop. Mm. It's pretty strong. It's a pretty strong warning to say you have used this language construct. That's a problem. <laughs> I, I certainly think it's, I'm on board with the the Zen of the idea that most of the time a while means you're doing it wrong. Most of the time you could probably iterate over a collection or you could enumerate and then iterate over the, the index and the value. But there are times where you actually need to test for something mm. and then mm. break out and, and to put it as a full on warning just for its existence. <laughs> yeah. I, to me, yeah. it seems a bit too far, but it's it's interesting to say. The first yeah. one, um, yeah, I, I think these are both sort of uh, in the eye of the beholder a bit. Yeah, yeah. I actually, been in like in our team or in my whole existence, I, I think we're using while only once, and this is on the computer vision. So you are trying to capture videos uh, from the camera and then do analysis with them. So it says while there's a frame, keep on doing this. And of yeah. course, you always have to catch uh, 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 some way to go out of this while loop. But I think that's the only time we use while. And we usually warn, warn people, say, it's never use while, except when we're doing computer vision. Interesting. Yeah, and especially yeah. if you got things like pandas and stuff, or maybe you shouldn't even be looping at all. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, yeah interesting. Interesting. Uh, a couple of thoughts from the live stream. So Sam Morley out there says X equals Y or Z is really handy for setting instance variables in a class uh, where they're using nuns. I totally agree. Chris May, hey, Chris, says ternary is a great idea if it's simple, else not so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, nice. Clever. Brandon Brainer out there agrees with you, Preston, that the traditional if else is probably easier to read. Um, Henry Schreider says ternary is much better for type, type checking as well. Okay. Yeah, probably because the type inference is more obvious there. So, yeah, pretty neat, pretty neat. Also, speaking of neat stuff, 
what if you could have all sorts of little placards and things about your readme? So here is a project that I want to tell people about called GitHub Readme Stats. And GitHub Readme Stats is pretty interesting. It's uh, comes to us from Poma. So thank you, Poma, for sending that in. And the description says it's, it dynamically uh, dynamically generates stats for your GitHub readmes. But I feel like that scope is actually way too short. It's dynamically generated little placards for wherever you want to put them on the internet. You might want to put them on a, a project's readme so the project can describe itself more dynamically. But you might also want to put it on your about page on your blog or something like that. So give you all a sense of what's going on here. If you come down here, you can have these different, there's a whole bunch of different options. You can get like a GitHub stats card, you can get extra pins, you can get uh, the languages. Like for example, we could say what the languages you are most likely to use across all of your repositories, the walk a time week stats. Uh, there's a bunch of themes and visualizations and stuff. So uh, I think the best way to get a sense of this is to see an example. So I put a couple of projects and my own self in here to kind of pick on me. So here's an image that I could add. I'll zoom that in. So I have this Python switch package that I created a while ago when Python didn't have anything like a switch statement. So I wanted to add a switch statement to the Python language. So I did. And apparently here are the stats of it. These are live, right? If I refresh it, it'll regenerate it. And it gives you a little bit of info about the project, like the name and its little description that's mostly Python. It says it has 238 stars and 18 forks, which is pretty awesome. So all I got to do to get that is go up here and say, I want to get the pin and I want to have the username be Mike C. Kennedy and the repo be python-switch. Cool. And then this returns an image that I can put, like I said, anywhere, right? If you put this as the image source, it'll go. It's not just like it'll only render on GitHub. It'll go wherever you put it. So I think that that's pretty cool. Another example would be uh, your stats. I'll refresh this because your little animation. I can get my Michael Kennedy's GitHub stats. Apparently I have an A++, but a two-thirds closed red ring. I'm not totally sure what the ring means, but kind of a cool little graphic here. <laughs> Apparently I've got 3.5 thousand stars, which surprised me. Uh, a lot of commits, 73 PRs, 103 issues, 23 repositories I contributed to. I don't know if that's this year or maybe this year. Who knows? Or total. <laughs> Anyway, that's kind of cool, right? You could put that on your blog or, or somewhere where you're trying to talk about yourself, like um, you're trying to get hired or you do consulting or something. And then the third one here is you can say your most used languages. So apparently I've most used JavaScript, which is very much not true. But I've probably <laughs> committed a, a ton of like <laughs> node modules to some projects that I don't actually want to have to, you know, re-NPM install. I want to just make sure they're there for like a course or something like that, right? But it'll show you the breakdown of your various languages and, and whatnot. So that gives you kind of a sense of uh, what these are all about, uh, what the idea of this, this thing is. So it generates these little cards and you can put them, uh, like I said, wherever you want. What do you think? Like on our resume page. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, 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 I, I really love it, but it's kind of sad because some most of our time is spent in GitLab and all this ah. other, and all our commits are done there. And then when I come to my GitHub, it looks so empty and it yeah, makes yeah, my heart sick. What has right? Prezi been doing? He hasn't committed yeah. anything for a week. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's really, really awesome. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I guess it really only works for GitHub and that's where it's really handy, but still Do you know nice. if this, the stats are only on public repos or are they public and private? It's yeah. a good question. So you can choose as a user... If you go down here and like the stuff that shows in your contributions in your GitHub profile, you can check whether you want public and private contributions to appear in that little green okay. of how much 
how much contributions have you made this year by day. Okay. So maybe it depends on whether you've checked that or not. You know what I mean? Yeah, probably. Uh, but it but it might not. But yeah. Cool. Anyway, yeah, pretty cool uh, little project. Grayson, you're up next. What you got? Yes, yes, yes. So I got this one here. Actually, this is uh, it's something that has been covered, not covered, covered, but been mentioned. So I could see it in uh, footnotes as uh, when I searched through. Actually, Brian, you covered it in episode 182 with Hypermodern Python. I think it's just oh, a yeah. name that was there. Yeah, but it was not mentioned. I think it's just been oh, this could be used in this hyper-modern Python way of doing awesome stuff. And then in uh, episode 248, uh, it was mentioned again with hyper-modern Python cookie cutter, but it's just like a footnote of, oh, it use uh, Nox instead of Tox. So this is really, really uh, an awesome tool that we've been uh, using uh, recently because we, uh, when we do machine learning, we are... Uh, encountering a lot of problems where we have to test how our models are uh, are performing and how are they are they ethical so the test uh, when we do uh, tests of our uh, pipelines we're not just testing that the models are uh, accurate or they are doing the things that they're doing like the API it's actually you cannot just ping our API you need to have keys and all those we actually also have to test about the ethicalness of our models so like uh, if we say our models does not segregate between uh, uh, um, let's say uh, gender so we test uh, we have counterfactual tests where we send different genders and see what are the models responding are they responding with the similar results so when we say it doesn't um, uh, segregate between sexual orientation. Then we send different uh, inputs where it pretends to be a, either uh, straight or, 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 or homosexual and just try to see, do we receive the same results? So we've been trying to um, run this very uh, in an automatic way. And before that, we use a lot of talks. But the problem is uh, talks, the way of defining your talks is just not Pythonic, like... You don't write this Pythonic way of doing things. It's similar to, uh, we, we had this issue with make. I really could not debug make. So whenever I made a make file, I copied from someone else and then changed some things because anything I touched, then I have a syntax error. Oh, this thing is not in the right place. Oh. And, and then uh, I came across evoke which it was almost like Pythonic. I can write everything in a Python way. So this... Nox is actually similar to what Evoke did to make, but it's uh, doing exactly to, um, to Tux. So in this case, you can create um, a simple pipelines like this one here, where it creates a session, uh, installs the package that needs to be installed, and then run uh, whatever experiment you're trying to run. And this is really, really handy. At least uh, we found it really handy because you can select that it actually used the Conda environment, like uh, the Conda world has uh, been used a lot in data science. So you can say first create a Conda virtual environment, install these packages, and then test them. So what I like about this tool, it's, it's almost similar to PyTest. Like if you know how PyTest works, then you know how this guy works because there's a, mm. a parameterization. And whenever you run tests, you can select which part of station needs to be run. Like in uh, PyTest, we use the, the dash K, run this uh, kind of test. And here you use the same thing, dash K, run 
only this kind of builds, right? So it is dark. We, we really, really enjoy that. Like you can pass in a environment variable, but I actually wanted to show you the coolest part here. Yeah, this does uh, look nice. It's 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 just uh, amazing. I cannot uh, uh, I cannot uh, I, I mean the guy who created this. I just give him all the thumbs up uh, with everything that they have uh, they have come up with. So it's really really handy if you're not using it, if or if you're using Tux, you should probably consider changing to Nox. That's cool. If you can, for example, write that you have a test and then say, I want this, you know, as a decorator, sort of yeah. parameterized. I want this to run on two seven three six three seven three eight, and it'll do that, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so, 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 so you can see it's like, like uh, this example here, right? So we can see we are parameter, uh, parameterizing uh, different Django. So we want it to first install this version and then run the tests, right? And then Later, it will come and take this version and run the test. But then in the command line, you can actually just select it to run only the test with this guy and skip this guy here. So oh, it's nice. really, I mean, it's uh, um, the, the, the ability that it, it gives you, it's uh, incredible. Um, so if I could see, uh, so you can see uh, like here, right here, right? This is exactly what like it goes into the PyTest-ish. Well, I see. So you can run it and say, don't, don't run the linter or yes. just lint it. Don't run the test or test. Yeah, you can even yeah, put yeah. Python expressions. It looks like test and not lint, for example. Is it, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just uh, insanely great. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Brian, what do you think of this? Oh, I really like Nox. It's neat. Uh, the parameter is, uh, the, the use of parameters is really cool. Um, and the example of like using a, a couple different Django's is good, but you can also, uh, build up uh, uh, matrices of testing easily with like a couple. You can stack these so you can have two parameters together. Um, it's it's a pretty cool project. I I just really love talks, so I, I haven't <laughs> I haven't switched. Uh, there's uh, but um, but I I know that the you know there's there's like invoke also. People are using invoke for automation, but people are using Knox for. Uh, more than just automating testing, you can automate um, really whatever you want to. You can run, yeah. it's just running a command, right? So mm. Nice. Yeah. Tracy, you've got a lot of comments from the live stream on this one. Henry Schreider says, I love Knox. Tox is mired in backwards uh, compatibility defaults. It is hard to tell what's actually doing, whereas Knox is simple. It doesn't hide or guess stuff. It's just program like PyTest. Sounds great. Sam Morley says, this is the only way to write a make file with invoke. <laughs> I, 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 had, I, I mean, I, uh, I, had, I had that one. Yeah. Uh, Henry also says the PyPA projects have some very powerful Knox files, CI build, wheel, pip, and so on, um, which is good. And then Sam Morley also has a question for you. Uh, can it also Knox run external tools? For example, build a C extension or run a C test suite? Oh, I don't know, Brian. I, I don't know that either. I, no. I assume uh, it, so. It but. definitely can because Python has subprocess, but can it do it without you <laughs> you forcing that into it? You know, but you could put technically uh you know Python call this oh. other command, right? Well, there's but, an example in one of the in the tutorial of of calling CMake. So yeah, that's, I saw the CMake as well. So that probably counts, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that would count. So it's just running a command. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Brian, Brandon out there has a comment for you. New lights look great. <laughs> I agree with him. I actually need to adjust my uh, my camera a little bit, which is a little bit off on the lights. Very cool. 
All right. Uh, let's see. I think Brian, you got the next one. Oh, okay. I forgot what I was talking about. Um, yeah. So I've got the old document there. So I've got a couple of things I wanted to talk about. So this is um, one of those extra, extra, extra things, mm-hmm. but there's just two. Um, a couple of things around dealing with text. And I've been playing with my blog a little bit lately, not really writing much, which is a problem, but um, <laughs> but actually dealing with some well, of the What you wrote data. looks really good now. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some uh, automate, trying to automate some of the parsing of some of the old stuff. So I, I grabbed a whole bunch of blog posts from, from uh, WordPress and which, yeah, no, you can, nobody needs to throw eggs at me. I'm already switching uh, and using Hugo now, but, um, but the, I've got a whole bunch of files that I automatically generated markdown files, but there there's problems with them. So I have to, I have to keep track of them. So I've got some scripts. So they, they, a couple of tools are helping me. Uh, Python front matter is a, uh, is a really pretty, it's a package that's, it's just a really small package, but it, all it does is really takes uh, like YAML style uh, front matter stuff and um, and parses those. You could just load it. So you load. I'm using a Markdown file, so the example shows a text file, and uh, and you can get at all the pieces of the file, like the content and stuff. But it, for instance, um, I can grab I can grab the title. You can look at what the keys are. But so for blog posts, I've got. Uh, you know, tags and uh, the date, and it's all um, it's all converted to um, Python objects. So uh, if I have a date um, listed in uh, a blog post, it'll show up as a date time object. So and you can do math on it and all sorts of stuff. So this is pretty cool. Uh, it's really small, but super handy for what I need. So this is good. Yeah, this looks nice. The other tool I wanted to talk about, which is a, even a tinier use case, I think, is uh, called FTFY, fixes text for you. Um, and really, it just takes bad Unicode conversions and makes them good. So it takes like common problems with Unicode conversions and uh, fixes them. In- like where it looks like you have Greek or Russian letters or something instead of a space or apostrophe or something like that. Yeah, like the one of the, the first example, a quick example, there's like, yeah, like this weird AE character, and really it was intended to be a check mark. So it just converted mm. it to the the proper what it was. I'm not sure how yeah. it's doing this, but it's pretty neat. That is very cool. Um, the the <laughs> this gets me all the time with stuff like goes from Word if I'm converting from Word or something, um, or copy copy and pasting uh, or other things. There's a lot of different quote marks that word processors put in and like it just ends up being gross in a lot of places and uh having that converted to just the one example is uh the mona lisa doesn't have eyebrows but instead of the just apostrophe t it's this weird ugly big unicode thing um yeah so just just replacing that with an apostrophe is a good idea yeah nice does it change single quotes to double quotes and stuff like that as well (laughs) i don't know (laughs) Should yeah, it? Nice. I don't know if it should either. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, this is cool. So you just run this across like your markdown files or something like that? Yeah, so uh, I'm not using it really for the blog stuff, but there's there was some other text parsing I was doing where I was scraping some information from somewhere and it just was just gross. Uh, it was a, had a bunch of gross Unicode stuff in it and I just wanted to, you know, have something easy to just convert it quickly. And this, this does the trick. Mm. Yeah, very cool. 
Nice one. Nice finds. So I'd follow up on that. I was playing with my Oh My Posh shell and the new Windows Terminal and the new Windows PowerShell on Windows 11 Whew, earlier this week, trying to set up some testing over there. And I found they have all these cool themes that show you all kinds of neat stuff. So you can see like uh, the Git branch you're on and they've got these little cool arrows and all these colors and they'll even uh, do certain things for like showing the version of the Python virtual environment that's active in the prompt and stuff like that if you activate the virtual environment. And all that had a bunch of weird blocks and like squiggly junk like that. And so it's not exactly the same problem. I'm gonna talk more about this later, but there I found that there's this place called Nerd Fonts and apparently PostShell is tested on Nerd Fonts, but Nerd Fonts is full of all these amazing developer fonts that have font ligatures and all sorts of cool stuff. And they're all free. There's like 50 developer fonts and terminal fonts and stuff. So. Yeah, one more, one more thing along those lines to check out. Very neat. Mm. But what I mm. wanted to talk about is stealing this idea from Preston that he was going to cover, but I got to it, <laughs> <laughs> got to it before. Uh, so there's this new project that uh, recently is making traction. It's it's been around for a couple of months, even a, I guess it's about two years old, honestly. But um, somehow it got discovered and is now getting some traction called Empire, M P I R E, and the idea is it's a Python package for easy multiprocessing. It's like the multiprocessing module, but faster, better, stronger. It's like the Bionic one. So uh, the the acronym stands for uh, multiprocessing is really easy. I love that thought. And it primarily works around taking multiprocessing pools, but then adding on some features that make it more efficient. For example, instead of creating a a clone, a copy of every object that gets shared across all the multiprocessing, it'll actually do copy on write. So it won't make a copy of the objects you're just reading. It'll only make a copy of the ones you're changing. So if you start like 10 subprocesses, you might not have to make copies, 10 copies of that, which can make it faster. Uh, it comes with cool like progress bar functionality and insight to how much progress it's made. It's also supposed to be faster. I'll talk about it in a second. Um, but it has map, map unordered, and things like that, iterative maps. The copy on write I talked about, which is cool. Each worker has its own state and uh, some like startup shutdown type of behaviors you can add to it. It has integration with TQDM, the progress bar. Um, what else does it have? Like I said, some insights. It has user-friendly exception handling, which is pretty awesome. You can also do automatic chunking to break up um, blocks of queues across uh, sub-processes and multiprocessing, including NumPy arrays. You can adjust the maximum number of tasks or restart them after a certain number, restart the worker processes after a certain amount of work. So in case there's like a memory leak or it just hasn't cleaned it up, you can sort of work on that um, and create pools of these workers with like a daemon option. So they're just up and running and they grab the work. Uh, let's see. It can be spin pinned to a specific or a range, specific CPU or a range of CPUs, which can be useful for cache invalidation. So if you're getting a lot of like thrashing and moving across different CPUs, then the caches have to read different data, which is of course way, way, way slower. So a bunch of neat things. I'll show you a quick example. So in the docs, if you pull their page up, there's a multiprocessing example. So you write a function and then you say with pool processes equals five as pool, pool.map and give the function and the data iterable and it runs each one through there. With the Empire one, it's quite simple, similar. You just create a Empire worker pool and you specify the number of jobs. And it says the difference of the code are small. You don't have to relearn anything. 
but you get things like all the stuff I talked about, the more efficient shared objects, the progress bar. If you want, you can just say progress bar equals true and you automatically get a cool little TQDM progress bar. Uh, you get um, startup and shutdown methods for the workers so you can like initialize them and, and what else you need to do. So yeah, pretty cool little project. And the benchmarks show it down here at the bottom in the fast area. So you all can check that out. Grayson, what did you like about this? Well, I, I think it's also going to trans, uh, transition really well to the, the other topic that I have is I, I like when one creates an API that you can just easily plug to your existing code. Yeah. So you can just import this as this and do not change the entire code and then you take care of that. You know, like writing your code in a way that one can just plug and play. Mm. That's the, the amazing thing. So you, it's easy that you don't have to relearn a lot of stuff. But it just gives you the power that you need. So this is why we uh, we move toward this one. So we gain the power without changing much of our code. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I love that as well. You know, that, I think of like HTTPX and requests for a while, mm. and I think they diverged at some point. But yeah, let's see some feedback from audience real quick. I'll jump back to the nerd fonts. Chris says they're amazing. Henry Schreiner says fish shell plus Fisher plus oh my fish. And then the theme Bob the Fish plus Sauce Code Pro Nerd Font is fantastic. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have no idea. I haven't explored this yet. These are great names. Yeah. You're going to send me on a serious rat hole. I'm going to be losing like the rest of today to just well, fill out that, I'm afraid. Uh, <laughs> I, well, I keep on missing my, 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 my terminal every time I start uh, fiddling around, right? So, uh, That's right. Because I'm, I'm using uh, uh, WSL, Windows Subsystem Linux, right? So... Right. Whenever I fix something, then I get it right. And before I know it, I broke it again. And so, but yeah, it looks really awesome. Yeah, fantastic. And then uh, on topic was most recently talking about Chris Mesa's Whoa, Empire looks nice. Uh, Alvaro asked, will it help to get logging working in multiprocessing? I don't know that it'll make any change. I mean, it really is mostly still multiprocessing. So probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Grayson, I think you got the last one here. Yes, yes, yes. So I have this awesome uh, tool here. Like um, it's a, it's called Scotch. It's really like a mixture of scikit-learn and touch. Um, with this is really, really cool. But as we were talking about having a, building an API that it's easy to integrate. So if someone already knows scikit-learn and a bit of touch, then you don't really need to, to learn anything in this tool because everything just fits in together. So basically, um, uh, in when you're using scikit-learn, so if you are not familiar with scikit-learn, it's just this, uh, what we call it, the must-have toolkit for data scientists because here they, they have created a really good uh, tool with a really good API where you can uh, build an entire pipeline from cleaning your data to um, uh, building uh, interesting uh, models and everything like that. But the uh, the biggest problem which we've been keep on experiencing when working with Scikit-Learn is when it comes to uh, neural networks that you really don't have a lot of power to customize your networks in the way that you will um, uh, you like it's very limited with this input that you you already have here and. In most cases, someone says, well, just create your own uh, neural network uh, classifier or a regressor and then uh, wrap it in the scikit-learn wrapper. But then oh, sometimes one does not want to do that. But 
nice thing is uh, another guy uh, just uh, um, came up with this project, which is really, really neat. So basically, it's just, uh, uh, I think mostly I, I, I will just go about, maybe I should shamelessly show you an example in um, in uh, uh, one of my gifts, which is, uh, uh, <laughs> I know this is a shameless way to do, but it's easier like giving a, a yeah, demo yeah. on how it works, right? So mm -hmm. like if you're using scikit-learn, you are very familiar with all these other tools that someone needs to have, like the way to split your data, et cetera, et cetera. But then right. it's, like the, it's pipeline the, and the, the pipeline and all, all those stuff. Kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. But the coolest thing is instead of using one of the scikit-learn uh, models, you can create your own custom neural net, right? So this will be like a neural network where we decided what, how many, uh, uh, what will, how many nodes we want in the first layer, how many nodes do we want in the second layer. And here we can build as many uh, interesting net as we see fit, right? And then basically here we just uh, do the calling of it. So this is very standard PyTorch way of creating uh, your net, net. The awesome part is that now this net, uh, forgetting about all this process, we can see, so we just create this net, wrap it up like this, and now we are using it as part of our pipeline. So you can see, I will just go down right here. Nice. So I'm having my preprocessor, scikit-learn-ish, and I'm having my net. And the coolest thing is, now I just call this thing as I will do with any scikit-learn model with uh, my classifier.fit this, and later I will do my classifier.predict these things, right? So this example is we're trying to predict the, uh, the species of penguin given the data that we have. So this uh, whole thing is really, really cool because it obscure the whole uh, phase of um, uh, when you do it in PyTorch, uh, uh, pure PyTorch, you will have to write this for loop with uh, optimizer, stepping up, stepping down, all these things. But here, just transforming to the scikit world, scikit learn world, where you just do fit which just train your model and now you can just do predict as if you're predicting any other uh scikit learn uh tool so so scotch is a really really tool that uh, just yeah. does that so it allows you to connect your touch uh net with the scikit learn pipeline so this is uh really really awesome so i would just i encourage people to take a look at it i love the idea of it that basically you would you can create these pytorch models and do what you need to do to set them up and then just hand them off to the rest of the scikit-learn world. And I can see some really interesting uses for this. Like I've got some library and it can either integrate with PyTorch or it can integrate with scikit-learn and it just uses this little wrapper to pass it around. I, I like it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so for me, it's like, it just gave me this ability to create this uh, a more extended um, uh, uh, algorithms uh, and then just continue using my scikit link my scikit uh my uh scikit pipelines so that's the coolest yeah. thing that i don't have to change my code because i just want to replace one line and that is the model so i get the model from uh scotch and then pass it in my ordinary something like logistical regression instead now i'm using a net love it nice brian what do you think you like this uh, pattern yeah i do i like the i like the pattern of uh being able to use not have to change your entire tool chain just uh just change one piece it's nice and clean. yeah i like it yeah. as well so uh that's it for our main items brian i've got one i feel like i feel like i should have let you have this one but i, I grabbed this little extra thing i wanted to throw out there because i thought it would make you happy 
Neat. Can't wait. Yeah. So uh, Marco Gorelli sent over this thing and said, if you want to work in Jupiter Lab, right? I know that one of your requirements for working with tools and shells and stuff is that they're Vim-ish. You can do Vim keyboard things to it. I'm excited. Yeah. So he sent in this thing called Jupiter Lab-Vim, which is Vim notebook cell bindings for Jupiter Lab. So if you're editing a notebook cell, you can do all of your your magic Vim keys to make all the various changes and, and whatnot uh, that you want. So yeah, cool. What do you think? I'm Me? definitely going to try this. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Let's see. What else do I have? I got, uh, oh yeah, this, I never mind my picture. I didn't really intend to put that up there, but <laughs> I just want to point out that I'm going to be speaking. And the reason the picture is there is the conference, uh, the Pi Bay conference that is running next month. Uh, they featured my talk that I'm doing. So that's why there's a picture of me. But the Pi Bay 2021 food truck edition, they have rented out an entire like food cartopia type place with a bunch of these pods and having a conference outdoors and putting up multimedia like camera uh, TVs and stuff for each pod. So even if you're not at the like a great line of sight, you can still see the live talks, but sit outside and you know drink and eat food cart food in California. Sounds fun. So I'm going to be talking about uh, what a what did I say my title of my talk was? It's going to be HTMX plus Flask, Modern Python Web Apps, Hold the JavaScript. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm looking forward to giving that talk in, in there. So people, if they're generally in that area, uh, they might want to check that out. I I might. That just sounds fun. Yeah. Yes, indeed. All right. That's it for my extra items. You got any extras, Brian? No. How about you, Preston? Yes, I got one. I, I, I had to actually search if this one has been covered, and I was surprised that it has not uh, been I covered. don't think it has. What is this? It, it's, so, so it's, uh, you know, there's something called pi.inv. So we've been using pi.inv to, uh, of course, one can say, why don't you just use always.inv then get whatever that is? Why do we need to uh, to install another package just to get the environment variable or something? But this is pretty, pretty neat. Um, uh, it's quite recent project, I think, uh, and it's rising slowly. And uh, there's a lot of contributor, and it's uh, yeah, it it's very promising. Uh, so what it does, I, I think I can just bring it uh, somewhere here. Uh, it allows you to do all this uh, uh, type convention, com, com, uh, casting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right? Like you can say, you say I'm going to oh, get nice. my debug here. And then I will set the, the, the defaults and also I will do the casting here, right? So this is right. really, really... So often when you're reading config files, everything is a string and then you're like, oh, yeah. this one is a date time, so I got to parse it. This one yeah, is yeah, uh, yeah, float, yeah. so I got to parse it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but it's really even, it's so much that. So there's another way where you can say from decouple import auto config. So it goes and search where is that envir- uh, uh, .env file is. So uh, otherwise, you can just tell where the environment variable is. But it's just it's just neat. It's very simple. It does what you want it to do. So I will really encourage people to look at it. It's uh, I, I just uh, we we have just changed every places where I've been using dot uh, inv or os dot inv with uh, with this one, and it's just uh, it helped me clean some unnecessary steps in my code. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah great, great idea. Definitely check that one out. All right. Well, I think that's it for all of our items. Well. What do you think? Should we do a joke? Definitely. I love it because I've almost forgotten what the joke is. So it's going to be new to me as well. All right. So the joke is called adoption. This comes from monkeyuser.com. And you've heard about the the Python uh, idea of you came for the language, but you stayed for the community. 
But what if it is a little bit different? What if actually people get brought in un unwillingly and then they kind of realize they like it? So here's a picture of uh, like kind of an open field, you know, think um, gazelle or something. And there's, there's a couple of developers just running and there's one who is fixated on a butterfly who doesn't actually see what's, and there's a bunch of like a pack of Python developers coming to adopt them. It says a pack of Python developers spotting a junior dev away from its pack initiate their conversion assault. <laughs> uh, yeah. This yeah is good. Silly. silly, silly, silly. Man, I, I'm right. that way even for non-programmers. So, um, and my family just sort of like rolls their eyes every time this happens. But every time I like get a, uh, some, a young, uh, somebody young coming over either in college or high school, or just out of college, I'll uh, I'll say. So if you haven't done it already, I, no matter what your field is, you really should learn how to code. Um, and while you're at it, why not just choose Python? So I'm trying to make Python developers out of every person I meet. I, I think that's so do no favor. It's it's it'll be their superpower amongst all their non-developer friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. awesome. That's funny. Right, Brian, thanks as always, and Prayson, really great to have you on the show this week, and thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. You bet. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Python Bytes. Follow the show on Twitter via at Python Bytes. That's Python Bytes as in B-Y-T-E-S. Get the full show notes over at pythonbytes.fm. If you have a news item we should cover, just visit pythonbytes.fm and click submit in the nav bar. We're always on the lookout for sharing something cool. If you want to join us for the live recording, just visit the website and click live stream to get notified of when our next episode goes live. That's usually happening at noon Pacific on Wednesdays over at YouTube. On behalf of myself and Brian Aachen, this is Michael Kennedy. Thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues.